All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Millennial Teacher Podcast. My name is Shakira Langley. And again, we are doing all things education. And I have Miss Deanna Smith. Welcome, Deanna. It's so good to have you guys. Deanna has a huge platform on Instagram all about abolitionist teaching and helping educators in any way, shape, fashion or form. So welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, thank you for joining me. I know you're busy. So um, I kind of just want to start with how did you get into education and how did you grow your platform as huge as it is now? Yeah, for sure. So how I got into education, I actually, you know, when I was a kid, I think every kid thinks about being a teacher for like a second, but I wasn't, you know, super sure that I was going to, um, that I was going to be a teacher. And I, you know, went to college and I actually studied political science and international policy in Spanish. So at that point, I thought maybe I'll like work at the UN or something like that or work um, in education access like somewhere else in the world. But I did a couple volunteer programs at our college. Like they had like after school volunteering and after school tutoring with kids. And I just grew to like it more and more and started thinking about actually becoming a teacher And so at that point, I didn't have a teaching credential. So I had to go get a teaching credential and my master's degree so that I would be able to teach. Um, And I started teaching fifth grade in Oakland, California, and I just totally fell in love with it. I just had such a connection with my students. They were so lively, so joyful, and it just ended up being a really positive experience, especially because I didn't have any Black teachers when I was a kid. I didn't grow up like with a lot of people of color. So I wasn't sure like how I would feel in that environment. But once I started teaching, it was, you know, everything that I had ever wanted as a student, I was able to provide that for my kids. So it really just grew into a passion. I started teaching. Then I um, did a lot of different things in schools. I was a diversity, equity, and inclusion coordinator and manager. And then I was the vice principal and a dean. So held a lot of different hats in the school building, but really enjoyed it. Nice. So you have like all sectors of education. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you can speak from teacher perspective, admin, everything far in between. I love that. So how you specifically talk about abolitionist teaching. Um, What exactly is that for those of us who don't know? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think most of us are familiar, especially now, when I first started teaching, culture responsive teaching wasn't that big of a thing, but I think now post 2020, everyone knows about it. Everyone's talking about it, but there's a wider umbrella of what are called asset pedagogies. And basically what that is meaning is that we're not seeing kids cultures and their backgrounds as deficits. Like when I was a kid, when, you know, people be like, oh, you know, a barrier to her is her race because she's black. So she has to work harder. But instead of my race being a problem, asset pedagogy, see your race or your culture or your background or speaking in other languages at home as an asset, as something that you bring to the table. So abolitionist teaching is one of the asset pedagogies. There's a lot of them. There's culture responsive, culturally relevant, ethnic studies pedagogy, um, a big umbrella. But in abolitionist teaching, we specifically take the components of culturally relevant teaching, which focus on like academic success, uh, societal context, like understanding the context that your students are coming from, and equity work. But we also add this layer, which is understanding that schools are not even designed to work well for students of color in the first place. So think about it, and you're probably familiar with like prison abolition, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Abolitionist pedagogy says that like there's some things about the way that we do school that just need to be totally 
changed. Mm-hmm. Like we're not here to just reform them or like figure out how to make them work. No, there's some of the things about the way that we do school that fundamentally clash with who our students are and what they're bringing to the table. And they're not good for kids and they're not good for adults either. So in abolitionist teaching, we look to reimagine and freedom dream schools that are like designed to see our students thrive as opposed to the carceral practices that a lot of our kids experience now. Wow, that's a lot of different. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of words. Yeah, I'm like, well, wait, where do we even start? So that's so many layers. So I guess, like, if you could like peel the onion, what would be step one, and what does that look like as a classroom teacher? Like, how do we get to to meet the best needs of our kids? Because, like you said, the education system is not, you know, wired for our children to succeed. So, as an educator who teaches in predominantly urban areas, how, what's that first layer look like for us? Like, where do we start? Yeah, absolutely. That's such a good question. It it seems like so much, but there's so much that you can do in your individual classroom. So the first thing I like to think about is like, how is your classroom like trying to control and contain students versus like supporting them and helping them be like the fullest version of themselves? So like, when I think about when I was a teacher and I, I talk a lot, I recently wrote a book, it's coming out soon. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wrote a book and it talks about my experience when I was first a teacher, I did a lot of these things personally. So when I say things that you should stop doing, no, it's also coming from, I did these yeah. things too, because mm-hmm. a lot of times our credentialing programs don't give us what we need to know. So when I think about like where I would have started, it's just thinking about like the policies that I had, like I was big on, you know, kids sitting perfectly still. I was big on taking away recess. If you didn't do what I wanted you to do, I was big on being quiet, like perfectly still and quiet. And, you know, just a really, a really narrow definition of like what it means to be good at school and do well in school. And so I think the first step is just thinking about like, okay, what about my expectations about kids are rules just for rules sake? Like, do they, do they always have to be quiet? Do they always have to sit in this particular way? Do they like, does it make sense to take away their recess at this time? So I think just starting with like reflecting on some of the small little micro choices that you're making throughout the day is really helpful because you'll realize like, oh, I actually don't have to do that. Another big one for me was like hoods and uniforms. I used to be the uniform police, man. I was like always on it. And I was like, well, what is, what is the real purpose? Like, is it, is this the best use of my time, right? To sweat this child about a uniform and what, why, why is it so important to me? So I would say like starting with those small little interactions and then on the flip side of that, what you, what you make time for when you spend less time policing kids is you make time for joy. I think as teachers, sometimes we're like so focused on we got to get the standards and like the Mm -hmm. bell is ringing and I have three minutes and we get so caught up in our own heads of like fear. I think a lot of it is like fear that our kids aren't going to do well or fear that someone's going to come in and we're going to be observed or fear that we're not going to stay on, on the test. Right. Exactly. So we're so afraid. So we don't even let the kids like have a breathing second of joy. So pushing back against that, like being like, you know what, we are going to spend an extra five minutes outside because what, what is going to, what is so bad that's going to happen? Or we are going to do this go noodle, or I am going to let the kids teach me the latest TikTok dance, or mm-hmm. we are going to just like take a minute to be silly. Right. So I think just pushing back against that, like really carceral. And when I say carceral, I mean things that like 
you would relate to a prison. And when you start to think about it, schools are a lot like prisons. Oh yeah. Especially if you, you look at students walking with bubbles and ducktails and um, crisscross applesauce and the finger over their mouth. And it's, it's like a, to me, like just hearing you talk and like envisioning and seeing it every day. I remember from my first year to now, like I have peeled all the way back because first year is like, okay, well, my residency program told me I'm an effective teacher. If all of my students are crisscross applesauce, eyes tracking everywhere I go, they're looking at me. They have to be quiet during quiet during during eating time. They have to be quiet walking in the hallway. I'm like, The more and more I grew into education, I'm like, this is not okay. And a lot of, I realized a lot of my behavior stemmed from me having, trying to be militant when I was miserable because I'm not even enjoying my students. And so, but then I guess for like new teachers who are entering, they are going through the programs that I went through and they're going to walk into the next school year. Like, all right, they got to have the bubbles. They got to have the ducktails. They got to have the crisscross. And when people come in, this is going to give them that checkoff list hundred percent complete. But then they, when they hear stuff like this, it's just like, okay, so what do I really do? What is it supposed to look like? Right. Yeah. And I think it is, it's so hard because you're right. We, like I talk about, again, I talk about this in my book. I was considered highly effective. Like I always got the best scores, but I was like, my kids were so unhappy. And like, mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I had the best classroom, but they just were the most scared of me is really what it came down to. Um, and a lot of teachers are frustrated with behavior management, but we we're creating the behaviors by, by setting a standard that is not developmentally, uh, developmentally appropriate for like a six-year-old to be perfectly still you're creating a behavior because that's just not going to happen. So you're, you're, you're actually playing yourself because you're no more things to do. So that's another thing when teachers are like, I'm so exhausted. I'm like, well, that's because you have this unrealistic expectation facing around playing whack-a-mole with these kids all day. So when I think about new teachers, like, and I say this with a grain of salt because I'm not trying to get anybody in trouble. Like I understand that there, you have to play the game. You have to know when to do it. I also think that like, just start to shift your focus. If there's one thing that I can talk about, it's just how much mental energy do you put into responding to behavior? And then how much inter- mental energy do you put into like building relationships and having like joyful, positive interactions with your students? Mm-hmm. And so just to balance that, because I see a lot of new teachers, 75% of their energy is playing whack-a-mole all day with behaviors. Yeah. So if you think about it, just like reflect, think about, take a day and be like, okay, how much of the day did I spend like building relate? Did I laugh with my kids? Did I talk to anybody about something that wasn't behavior related? Did I have a human connection and conversation with them? Did I like find moments to enjoy them? Do they, do they know me? Do I know them? And less time thinking about, did they do exactly what I wanted them to do when I wanted them to do it? And just shifting your mental focus and reflecting on a day-to-day basis, you'll see huge changes. And it also makes teaching more sustainable because we know that more than two thirds of the people that start teaching are not still going to be teachers five years later. Oh, they, no. they field yeah. Because you're exhausted. Yeah. Imagine you're, it's just not possible. So yeah. make it more sustainable for yourself to just ask those critical questions and um, just, you know, have some grace with yourself and with your kids. 
Right. And I would add to like meet them where they are. I was teaching math the other day and they would not stop talking. I literally set the timer for three minutes and I said, go talk to somebody for three minutes and we'll try it again. And my right. teacher was dying laughing. She was like, did you really just stop the lesson for them to talk? I said, I'm not going to fight them. Like, obviously they have a lot to say today. And I have a pretty good class. Like they, we have a relationship. Like it's, sad to say like they know when people are in the room like okay silly to serious and like that's what we say and so like they they can still relax and not like be like the perfect little angels but they have to show that they're learning and I will take that like I'm okay if observers come in and a child is stretched out as long as you are learning we're good and so just meeting them where they are. Like if you have to pause a lesson and reset and ha let them have the moment, I would also um, give that advice as well. So um, I love how you touched on that for like step one. So I guess I want to hear from like your previous admin side. Yeah. How did you coach or like instruct your teachers too? Because I know you had the abolitionist mindset, like refraining away from all those practices. But then again, I guess the person above you is still looking for you to coach in a way that this is the check off, quote unquote, good teacher list. Like, did you struggle with that? Was it a fight and tug and war? How did that go? It was definitely a tug of war. And I, I became an administrator because I was thinking as a teacher, I was so frustrated mm -hmm. with my administrators and with the district. So I was like, I'm just going to become an administrator. And then I can make my own rules. And the reality is you can't because the district is still right. and the same way that the teacher has to listen to the, to the principal as a VP, I had to listen to the district. So that part was very challenging, but what I think is important for people to recognize is like most of what they're doing, isn't really working anyway. Like it, mm -hmm. it's working in that kids are compliant, but it's not working in that kids are like learning that much. So I think that's a, critical piece. Like when people are like, oh, well, you're, you know, you're not making them sit down. I'm like, bestie, they weren't learning anyway. Like, right. they were, like, like hear me out. They, nothing was happening. So mm -hmm. I think as a leader, like that was something that I was trying to get teachers to understand because I worked with teachers that were resistant to changing how they were doing things because mm -hmm. they were scared of losing control because they, they like the control because they're like, okay, my classroom is quiet. Like it's not stressful. Da, da, da. They were afraid of the chaos. So I had to work with them and be like, okay, you're quiet, but I'm looking at your scores and people are not learning. Mm -hmm. And in my, like, I don't think, I don't think kids learn in quiet personally. Maybe that's just my neurospiritiveness, yeah. but I don't think a silent classroom me means that kids are learning. So as a leader, what I had to do was help teachers unpack some of their assumptions mm -hmm. and some of their beliefs. And that's why the work can be very tricky because it's not just, I can give you a checklist of practices to do all day. And I would do a little bit of that. Like I always came in, you know, as an administrator, I was, y'all were not going to talk about me because I was always <laughs> in the classrooms. I was not uh -huh. in <laughs> I right. guest taught on a weekly basis. Every week I was guest teaching someone oh, else. Good for you. Because I wanted people to see, like, I'm not just saying this. I'm not just talking out my neck. Like, this is what I will, I will show you it personally if I want you to do it. So I spent a lot of time with teachers, like building their trust and getting them to like believe in what I was talking about. And then we talked about the steps. And then we also talked about like, well, what was your experience as a student? Yeah. 
And like, how did, like, what are your triggers? Because sometimes teachers get triggered by behavior. Like a behavior is not really that big of a deal, but it hits a teacher a certain way. Are you taking care of yourself? Are you drinking water? Because when you're hungry, thirsty, and tired, you're not going to have patience with a seven-year-old and you need that. Like that's just the name of the game. So it's very, very holistic. So there's, there's things that you can learn on a, on a checklist, but there's also just the human part of it as an administrator that I always try to push as well, because you, if you're not well as a person, you're not going to be able to show up for the kids in the way that you need it. So it was kind of an interesting, because I think people would come and they were expecting me to give them this list of things to do. But instead I would start with like, well, how are you? Like, what are you bringing to the table? You seem stressed. So let's like start to unpack that first. So (laughs) it was really fun. It was really meaningful work. Um, And then I think also, you know, you just got to recognize teaching is, it takes years to master anything, mm-hmm. but teaching is you're always learning and growing. I had teachers that had been teaching for 30 years, wow. still learning and growing. And then I had teachers that are brand new, you know, that, so I think it's really great. So you can't expect to like ever get to a place where you're like, I'm done. You know, it's always a lifelong learning, lifelong process. I'm still learning. I still read all the time um, to try to get better too. So I think just leaning into the fact that it's a process is also really critical. I love that. I love how you have humanity because I appreciate coaches who like start with how are you? Like they want to know like your personal life. I will say one thing I appreciate about my team. Like we know a little bit about each other. It's not just like, do you have these copies? Do you have that? And I'm like, okay, like I know your dog's name. I know that you are going to a wedding this, this upcoming weekend. And I love that. And I didn't have that before um, my first year teaching. And so as I grew in the years, I was just like, okay, like I have a relationship with my team. My coach has a relationship with me and like, it's just a well oiled machine and I feel like that way like you can read a person like my supervisor my head of school like um, my dean they like know like oh Shakira's off like and I appreciate that so but I I love how you said like you guys have somebody to answer to so it's not like we can just toss toss everything that's put into place and I will say a lot of teachers, we do have that mindset. Well, did they, they forgot what it's like to be a teacher and this, that, <laughs> I'm guilty of it, especially when I'm upset. But yep. at the end of the day, we have to remember like, y'all can't just erase the book and you have right. a job to do. So yeah. I appreciate that. And a lot of teachers, I think we, that we have to humble ourselves to like, just because you were a teacher one year and you get an admin position, they can't change the world within a wow. year. And so I, I guess, was- battles too like sometimes I think I I felt like my teachers didn't see this is like I can't fit I will one some battles I will pick like one thing that I'm proud of is we got self-care days Uh, every every month everybody got one extra day off and it was like a designated self-care day it was like a paid extra sick day so I'm fighting that battle but then when it comes to the curriculum adoption I've already went hard for you on this thing over here to try to get you an extra day off every single month I can't Mm -hmm fight on every single thing. So I think that you never know the good admins, at least are probably fighting for something, even if you can't tell, but we have to pick our battles too. Yeah. I love that. And it's just like, everything is a process too. So Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Um, what would you say about the state of education right now? Because yeah, yeah, like it's so, I'm trying to be optimistic, but even like bringing abolitionist 
teaching into it. It's just like so deeply rooted, like the policies yeah. and the procedures in place down to the teaching programs, down to what we see in the hallway. Like it's so deeply rooted. So as someone trying to reinvent the wheel, like, do you feel like it is too deeply rooted? Do you think there's hope for teachers like yourself, myself, and people who want to do anti-racist teaching? Or do you think that it's just a rabbit hole? <laughs> I, I have to have hope. Otherwise, yeah, we have to, to. Like, run away and hide in a cave. But I, um, and you know, honestly, my, I really started doing this work with more teachers in the wake of 2020, when everybody was excited and talking about it. And so even between that time, I've noticed a total shift, like schools that I'd worked with before where I was like, yeah, we're doing abolitionist teaching. Now this year, they're like, oh, you got to call it inclusive. You can't say abolitionist. Mm -hmm. So I think there's definitely been like, as much as people like to think this is going to hit some people hard, but things have actually gotten worse. Um, I don't think they've really gotten better. So I think that that is um, like a sobering reality, but I think I have hope because I know that teachers, like it really is, if we, if we're able to be active and band together, Mm -hmm. we are able to turn this tide. And I feel like 2020 showed that everybody was at home with their own kids and they freaked out. And yeah. they said, oh, they this like, work oh, is not easy. Oh, right. They were like, oh, uh-huh. my God, oh, this is the worst. And I'm like, right. yeah, you get, you get it. Right. So I think we have the moment, but I think teachers are so used to being disempowered. We're so used to just everything is happening to us. The district says, the principal says, like, we're used to just like receiving our reality that I want more teachers to stand up and like, you know, whatever, you know, whether, whatever it is in your area. We got teachers that are not safe in the classroom because of firearms. We got teachers, you know, we had plenty of teachers died getting COVID from their students. So I think it's really important that teachers recognize you. We are able to be activists. And I deeply believe that every teacher is an activist. And a lot of the teachers are frustrated, especially I have a lot of followers in Florida who are frustrated at the parents. Now they got to submit lesson plans. They cleaned out the teacher libraries. I mean, the mm. Floridians are going cray cray. And so my thing is, okay, we're teachers like, we need to be in the streets, walkouts, yeah. stick outs, everything. I mean, I'm talking about fully, um, you know, demonstrating that like, we don't have to just let things happen to us. So yeah. my hope for education comes when teachers stand up and refuse to allow these conditions to keep getting worse. I'm in LA. And here we just had a strike. We just had a three-day strike and wow. the teachers went on strike and it wasn't even for them. It was because the paras and the like support staff are not getting paid well enough. So the teachers, oh my gosh. they went on strike. And I mean, and that's how you, and they got, they got what they demanded. Like, that's how you got to do it. You have to be, you have to be able to like really get dirty with these people mm-hmm. to see the changes that we want to see, because as we can see, people who have never even stepped foot in a classroom, all these politicians are making they make all the decisions mm-hmm. and, and, have, and have no idea what they're talking nope. about. That's the part that gets me. The audacity. The, uh, amazing. Like <laughs> school boards that don't even have anybody that was a teacher on them. Mm-hmm. School boards of people that are not teachers. Like that has never computed in my mind. Like, how are you on the school board? And you don't know, right. never even met a child. So exactly. Like things like that, I think we really need to recognize that we have the power, stand up and advocate for ourselves and advocate for our students and just say no. And I think that it also comes to like quiet resistance. Like 
I always tell people who follow me, you don't have to say that this is abolitionist practices or culture responsive practices. You can just do what I'm telling you to do yeah. and it yeah. will still have the same result. And nobody has to know where you heard it from. Like mm -hmm. you don't have to say, you yeah. know, crazy liberal lady in California. <laughs> it's like, just do it. So I think is that that quiet resistance and that like clear direct action saying like, we're not going to come to work. We're not going to deal with these conditions any longer. Like in Oklahoma, they're, they're, long, they're the lowest paid teachers, but they just also passed a bill where they have to submit their lesson plans like to the district. So they oh, have more hours of, right. Of they, so they're working more and they make the least. And I'm just like, Oklahoma teachers, get up. Like, yeah. where are you let me know. I will fly out and support you and be there at the picket line because we have to be, we have to be willing to take a stand. So yeah. the state of education is going to get worse until we as teachers collectively put our foot down. And I think we are overdue for a movement of teachers. I'm talking like civil rights style movement of teachers no, seriously, demanding better. So that's what I'm hopeful for is people, young teachers, especially who are like, I'm not about to do this. <laughs> yeah. Like it's it's sad though, because like you said, during COVID, people were like, oh, these these teachers actually know what they're doing. Like I did not sign up for this. Right. How? Like a lot of people were like giving us so much praise. But as soon as we got back to quote unquote normal, it's just like that went out the window. And it's like we're not protected through security. We're not protected for financially. And then the workload is just like, I always tell people, I hate when um, people say, oh, you're a superhero, you're a teacher. I don't want that heavy cape on my back. Like, I don't want that. I want to teach and I want to have fun, but I don't want to work every day, all day from sunup to sundown. I don't want to have to march in the streets for fair pay. I don't want have to have my students look like they're in a jail cell just to quote unquote, be a good teacher. And I don't do it. I've learned to meet their needs and meet mine and the finance, the financial aspect. That's another story for another day. But <laughs> like, I'm like slowly like doing it my way so I can stay in the classroom so I can, you know, meet the learners in my classroom. But I will be vulnerable and say like that even that is exhausting. Like, I feel like it's like 50 50 every day with education. It's like some days it's just so high and you remember why you do it. And then yeah. the other days it's just like, I've, I've had enough. Like, let me just. Okay. Indeed.com. <laughs> I don't mind doing it. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, but it makes me sad because so many good teachers are like, they're not looking back. And I always tell parents like, if you have like, please show some appreciation to your child's teacher um, because the work that we do is not easy and it's it's a lot of moving parts. But I'm really grateful for platforms like yours who like raise teacher awareness. And I'm hopeful that, yes, we need to keep the good teachers, but if all else fails because teachers are leaving by the boatloads, what have then oh happens to the kids? What right. does that look like for our for the future generation? Because if we're leaving and they're just hiring people who just give them worksheets and packets and don't care about their overall well-being, what does the our, the new generation look like? Like, what is the world going to look like? Yeah. Because most of their time is in education. Yep. And we're and that's the thing. Everything now that we're seeing, we're going to have the fallout like 
15 years from now. Mm -hmm. But like even right now, like the way kids not being able to get access to books, um, Texas banning, you know, certain stuff about Susan B. Anthony and MLK, Cesar Chavez, like all of these important moments and basically re rewriting, rewriting and whitewashing history. We're going to see all of that later. These classrooms with 35 kids, there's, you know, and it's going to be bad, I think, in like 10, 15 years. And maybe that's what needs to happen, it needs to get worse before gets people better. recognize like, mm -hmm. okay, we really, we must, we messed up now, you know, so, mm -hmm. but it, it's true, like our kids, but then at the same time, I would never tell a teacher to stay longer than what's healthy for them. Absolutely. Just because of the kids, because, you know, no, that's not fair to you. But I do get that, especially when I see highly talented black and brown teachers. I'm like, we need so many more of you. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if the conditions are terrible and it's bad for your mental health, I'm not going to be, you know, encouraging you to stay. So it's right. very Oh, gosh. Oh, man. I feel like there's so many layers to unpack with abolitionist teaching. But do you have like one last thing that you want to say since we're short on time? Um, anything pressing for those of us who are ending the school year and then wanting to finish it strong? And then for the new teachers coming along and wanting to start a new way of education for their classroom, what advice do you have to give? Ooh, okay. Um, I would say as cliche as it is, I think people talk about this a lot, like relationships, relationships, relationships. And some people are not going to lie that I say this, but unfortunately building relationships is part of the job. I think mm -hmm. there, there was like a weird shift in teaching recently where people have been like, I don't have to build relationships with the kids. I'm just there to teach. And they're not, they're not going to learn anything from you. Exactly. If they, they don't even like you. Um, they don't <laughs> like you. They think you don't like them. Right. You know? So I would say start with like, start with that connection before anything else. And don't let anybody pressure you into prioritizing the academics over the connection because that it doesn't go, it doesn't, it's not a two-way street. It's a one-way street. Mm -hmm. You have the relationship and then you get to the academics. It You can't build it the other way, um, especially to get to your tougher kids. So my advice would be just like starting out is recognizing like, the humanity, the joy, the fullness, the wholeness that is your students, and then recognizing the humanity, the joy, the fullness and wellness that is yourself. And seeing, you know, just those two components um, as more than just a teacher and student and start to build that relationship and that connection in a really authentic way. And if you have that foundation, you, you're solid. Like you can, it can only go up from there. So I would just recommend really starting with that. Um, and then, you know, bringing in that joy, really thinking about like, how can this be a joyful experience and a joyful classroom for my students? Yeah, that was great. Please um, shout out your platform and any other areas and resources that we can find you at because you are great. And I will be reaching out for a part two because we, I feel like we just hit the surface level. Yeah, there's so much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, part, I'm already excited for part two. Um, my name it, on Instagram, is just my name, Deanna Smith, D-E-O-N-N-A-S-M-I-T-H. And I do, I give away a lot of like free teaching tips, free content. I have a YouTube channel. My YouTube channel is called That's Just Good Teaching. And that's where I go like more in depth of each, each thing that I'm talking about. I try to like explain a little more because you can only do so much in like 60 seconds on IG. And, um, I also have a book coming out called Rooted in Joy. 
And it's all about like classroom management, but I don't even call it classroom management. I call it um, like building healthy classroom ecosystems. And so it's all about how to create like a really vibrant classroom without focusing on carceral practices, like taking away recess and punishments and instead mm -hmm. like have a really healthy community. And it's great for teachers of all grade levels, wherever you're at. It's just really about like building that classroom community and it's available for pre-order right now on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. So check it nice. out. Oh my God, Barnes and Nobles? Yeah, Barnes and Noble. That is huge. Barnes and Nobles is good. Like obviously you can buy it on Amazon, but if you have Barnes and Nobles, you know, they have a teacher discount. So I would recommend like, you can get a discount if you get a Barnes and Noble. So, oh my gosh, you are doing amazing work. Congratulations. Oh, thank I you. am leaving inspired and I am leaving <laughs> this. I needed this because tomorrow starts my spring break. So this is giving me a little oomph. Push okay. through tomorrow, yeah. push through to the rest of the school year. So I really appreciate you and the work you do. Thank you for joining me and thank you guys for listening.